Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here, and I hope you remember that, even though I have been off gone fishing for the past week, as I noted in my past uh, video. But yes, I am back, recharged, refreshed, more raring to go than ever, and boy, do I have a doozy of a conversation for you today. And I say that advisedly, because today I'm going to be talking to an old friend of mine, and I mean that in the sense of a longtime friend, not in the sense of an old man. <laughs> a longtime friend uh, that I have known for, uh, I think, a decade at this point, uh, namely Cheered Andringa from Groningen in the Netherlands. And if that sounds familiar to you, then you are paying attention. And you will remember that we have talked to Dr. Cheered Andringa before on the program. And... Actually, you might even be well-versed enough in Corbett Report lore to know that, uh, I believe, I'd have to double-check this before making any definitive claim, but I think, Jared, you might be one of the only people to be featured on the best of the Corbett Report as an interviewee interview role, uh, not once, but twice. Because if you go to CorbettReport.com slash bestof, you will find that our conversation on the cacistocracy is in that bestof, and also our uh, our conversation on Narcissism Goldman from Film Literature in the New World Order is also on the best of list. So you have cracked the uh, the top the top tier of Corbett Report material not once but twice. A no mean feat, I would dare say. So hats off to you, Jared Andringa. Thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Um, all right. Let me start with just a little personal anecdote um, here. I literally just today, and, and not in any sort of uh, conscious plan, uh, but I was going through some of my 2014 material in preparation, prepping the 2014 data archive USB available for soon from newworldnextweek.com, and I, I discovered some of my old interview footage of you, in fact, including some unused footage that uh, that I took when you were taking a trip through Japan at that time, which I had forgotten about. You actually came to Japan and you were passing through and we went to a little community center where I'd rented out a room and there was a whiteboard and I took some, uh, some footage of you and I used that in a couple of reports. And I had forgotten that that interview even existed. And I also came across uh, the footage of my TEDx present presentation. And on a lark, on a whim, I checked that presentation on YouTube to see if it is still up there on the YouTube page of TEDx Groningen. And I discovered that it is still there, but now it sports a, a note from Ted in the comments of that video. It says, note from Ted, we've flagged this talk because it falls outside the content guidelines Ted gives TEDx organizers, <laughs> which... Uh, uh, I, I actually take as a badge of honor. <laughs> I think that's a great yeah. thing. Um, and yes, for anyone who's ever wondered, how did James ever get to speak at a TEDx event? Well, first of all, TEDx is technically separate from TED. But also, yes, uh, it was Cheered Andringa, the esteemed professor at the University of Groningen, vouching for this no-name from Japan. Who's this guy? Okay, well, if you say so, Cheered, we'll, we'll bring him on. And uh, all these years later, it's been flagged by Ted. Yay, um, is all I can say. But anyway, yes, the esteemed professor at the University of Groningen, Cheered and... Oh, wait. Are you still affiliated with the University of Groningen? I think we need to fill in the blanks of the past few years for people who haven't been uh, following your career. Well, uh... In terms of my career, it's told. Uh, the University of Groningen decided that I was too toxic a person to be a member of the community. And I was officially cancelled. And uh, there was uh, 
a lawsuit at some uh, moment in which they honestly said that people with the beliefs that I had, uh, and, and they were not specified, that's really important, they were not specified at all what beliefs, uh, but that uh, someone with my beliefs could not be a member of the University of Groningen. So apparently people who've, whom you don't know the beliefs, uh, but you simply dislike or that make you uncomfortable, uh, they can fire you. And, and I was, well, I was not really fired actually. Uh, we, uh, we agreed uh, that we would separate on the basis of a conflict, a conflict on the purpose of education. And that conflict was actually pretty simple. The university said students exist to serve uh, the university. And I thought the other way around, the university exists to, uh, to serve the students. So uh, the conflict was about what is central, the development of the individual mind of the student or uh, the learning outcomes that the uh, university uh, requires of people. Uh, at the, that they show basically that they jump through sufficient number of hoops and if they have jumped through the hoops then they are worthy of a, a bachelor or a master degree and and I, I for some reason I think that intellectual maturity has something to do with a university education and and that made me probably an unwanted and pretty toxic person uh, that is a particularly baffling story to me because I had the honor and the privilege of visiting you at the University of Groningen, seeing you with your class, in fact enjoying a traditional Dutch hodgepodge with your class and uh, doing a Q&A with your students afterwards. Yep. And so I, I did get at least a small slice of, of seeing the interaction between you and the students. And I say this as someone who spent some time in academia and was, uh, I, I've, I've been in a number of classrooms, I would be hard pressed to think of. Uh, I, I let's put it this way: I would certainly put you in the uh, top ten percentile of any interaction that I've ever seen between a professor and students. To the point where, yes, clearly you're a, an authority figure who students can turn to for questions. But you did not, in any way, talk down to students. At, in, at least in the way that that I uh, saw you interacting with your students, you treated them as capable, responsible adult human beings who could think for themselves, and I certainly didn't ever see any evidence of you shoving anything down anyone's throat or berating anyone for believing something you didn't believe or what have you. So it's it's truly perplexing, at least from my perspective. Well, yes, from your perspective, of course, but from a university perspective, not. Because uh, this, the mere uh, fact that I don't push uh, content down the throat of my students uh, uh, makes me a problem, and and of course there is a there is a role for for showing that you are able to do a certain trick, uh, but there is also a big role for showing that you can think independently and that you can formulate your own arguments independently and using the best knowledge that academia can provide. Uh, so for me, uh, yeah, that uh, is central, and and actually. Uh, I take my students very seriously, um, and it appeared, and my, my mother-in-law uh, had written that down in 2017, that I had said to her that I didn't expect to be a member of the University of Groningen until my retirement, because 
the level of my students is higher than the level of my colleagues. Yeah, so that is well, that that clearly indicates, and it's not for every colleague, of course. Let's let's be sure there are uh, still really good academics, but are also people who seem academics, uh, but who consciously or not so consciously uh, ignore a lot of high quality knowledge and and make a story based on on yeah uh, an, an, a so-called academic story uh, based on ignoring a lot of high quality evidence and for me those are not academics i mean uh, if if it is an oversight and you discuss with it with them uh, and they include the knowledge okay that's all fine but um uh, if, if it is blatantly ignoring uh, whole fields like uh, biology or whatever doesn't matter so much uh, then then you're not an academic in my eyes and students are definitely not doing that and i flatter myself well the students flattered me actually uh with extremely high teacher evaluations i had teacher evaluations well above a nine out of ten uh and that had to do with the mere fact that i i took them extremely seriously as developing uh, developing minds yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all to hear. I, I Again, I only had that small window of opportunity to, to actually witness it, but the, the rapport that you had with your students was truly, it certainly seemed like a good, healthy rapport. Unfortunately, yeah. all it takes is one or two people who have the wrong impression on the wrong day of something that they didn't like, and their feelings got in, offended, and we can see where that can end up uh, in the snowballing process of uh, cancellation. Now, people might think that this conversation is going to be dwelling on this point, but actually, let's take a hard left turn because we're not here to dwell on that particular aspect of your interesting career trajectory. What we're actually focusing on, of course, is, yes, a critique of academia as it exists, as it is structured in the institution of the university. Um, but more to the point, actually, well, what can we actually do about it? Because, yes, we can elaborate the problem till the cows come home, but uh, the cows still have not come home. So <laughs> let's let's do something about the problem. And uh, unsurprisingly, again, given everything that I know about you, you've decided to actually do something about this problem, specifically in the creation of something called the school of understanding which is available at school dash of dash understanding dot nl don't worry if that's a mouthful it will be linked in the show notes as always so that you can go there directly and start learning more about what this school of understanding is and specifically at the top it says under the educational concept it says a school of understanding is a teaching concept designed as a small-scale, decentralized, effective, and cheap solution to the problems of our current schooling. Here you learn to develop your worldview into reliable into a reliable basis for adulthood. All right, sounds sounds simple enough, but obviously there are quite a few details in there that need dwell, dwelling on and elaborating. So let's start doing that. Cheered. What is a school of understanding? A school of understanding is uh, intended uh, to be the smallest, cheapest, simplest. Uh, uh, alternative for a big uh, industrial bureaucratic university uh, education. And it is, uh, I'm, I'm designing it in such a way that it is easily portable, easily uh, uh, copyable. So basically any decent academic uh, with, with a, well, 
well, any decent academic should be able to start a school like that. And in doing so, educate people for a year, typically, uh, and, and typically adolescents, by the way, uh, for a year. And then they become the academics, they learn a bit, they, uh, act, they, they, they are active in the world, and then they can start their own school and do exactly the same. And the idea is to have a small group, say uh, about 10, 12 people. Uh, the reason for that is that I can follow 10 or 12 people in, in quite detail. I can't follow 25 anymore. Um, and help them uh, create the, the, the best basis for adulthood, intellectual basis for adulthood that we can think of. And, and that is... Uh, the, the tool basically to develop your worldview in such a way that it becomes ever more realistic. And, uh, and why is it important to have a realistic worldview? Uh, well, that's very simple. Uh, every plan, every idea that is not realistic will uh, be proven wrong. And it will not be proven wrong by other people. It will be proven wrong by reality. Uh, and uh, so the more realistic your ideas uh, the more successful you will be. It's really simple, really important. Uh, so then the next question is, how do you make your, your worldview as realistic as possible? And then we come uh, to how people build worldviews in the first place. And uh, what seems to happen, and I've, I've, I've uh, experimented with this, uh, with my students a lot, and, and they agree on this, that this makes a lot of sense. Um, we first uh, accept uh, building block, worldview building blocks as, as narratives, as stories from our, our, the in-group where we grow up in. Uh, and, and so we, we, we hear a story on uh, how uh, the earth uh, functions, how uh, society functions, uh, who our enemies are, uh, how uh, what our religion is, etc. All those building blocks. And they, they, uh, they are typically topical uh, and they, they might overlap a bit, uh, but they can only overlap when they are not too uh, much interfering with each other. And they are building blocks uh, that you accept as a whole. And that is the important thing. Uh, um, well, at a certain moment, you have your basis, your worldview basis, and then you come into a new process. And that process is called refining. So the first process is building. And in refining, uh, you typically discover that there is knowledge outside of your in-group and high quality knowledge outside of your in-group. And then you are going to, uh, to integrate that knowledge in your own knowledge. And then you discover that there are all kinds of, uh, of, of inconsistencies that are that are part of your old knowledge is actually not of the high quality that you hoped it would be or that you thought it would be. Uh, and then you learn uh, from the outgroups, so sometimes, by the way, the outgroups are wrong, of course, and then you discover that. Um, and, and, and then all your narratives, they start to merge and they have to become more consistent with each other and they have to become more consistent with reality. And uh, and that process, uh, refining, is the process that I did a lot in the uh, in, in in my courses. And so I exposed people to uh, narratives that were typically, uh, say, at 90 degrees 
two. Uh, not necessarily opposite, but a, a completely different perspective on any topic. And then uh, they, they, the students discovered uh, that, that that was well, reasonable people talking in all kinds of reasonable ways, forcing them to uh, ad adapt adapt their worldview a little bit and learning a little bit and making their own worldview a little bit more uh, more more consistent, more realistic. And that gave them a really good feeling. And, uh, and also the feeling of that they had learned an awful lot in a very short time. Although it was not the typical way of learning, uh, like learning for an exam and cramping everything in memory. So that in in uh, and, and after a, a few months or so, you hardly remember anything uh, that you needed for to pass the exam. That is exactly the other type of of learning. I I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one of the things that you're gesturing to is a fundamental difference between what we might think of as as learning, um, by which I think we generally mean rote memorization of key dates and figures and facts for regurgitation on command in test or essay format versus understanding. Yeah. And I think understanding exactly. brings with it a, a certain sense of mastery. Um, when you truly understand something, you can actually produce something within that realm of expertise. And it is that production that a speaks for itself. It is the the actual um, thing that you are after. You are not after a degree. You are after actual understanding and mastery. But also that 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 process by which you achieve understanding is itself a transferable skill that you can then use in different domains. Exactly, and that is the reason why the school is called the school of understanding. The word understanding comes from the old Frisian word understanden, and that means basically to support from below which is to build a foundation. And, and so the school of understanding is about, is, is helping people to build a very solid foundation uh, for their future. Uh, and, and because I, uh, I'm, I'm a university level teacher, right, so I know a lot about adolescence, um, and that for me, uh, the, 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 the main contribution that I can deliver uh, is to, to help make people uh, to, to have their the building blocks, let them uh, coalesce, uh, let them merge and and and, and uh, weed out all the inconsistencies, everything that is unrealistic, everything uh, that is spurious and, and go to also to a higher level of understanding. And so a level of understanding in which uh, five or 10 processes that formerly looked completely separate uh, are now uh, manifestations of the same. And if you uh, if, if you understand uh, the world in that way, uh, your fragmented worldview uh, starts to become less fragmented uh, very rapidly. And that gives you that solid basis for adulthood. Right. I mean, that's another sign of understanding when things that were formerly disconnected are shown to be interconnected and that you can actually not only detail, but but actually make decisions that will affect uh, outcomes based on the understanding of those interconnections that previously were opaque. Um, there's, a, there's some very, very important points being made here, but I guess one of the first questions that occurs to me, you speak of a school of understanding. I'm not familiar with the pedagogy enough. Is this a term of art? Is this a term that has been used in the past? Is this something that you've created out of whole cloth? Is it some admixture of the two? Um, there are some some institutes that are called schools of understanding, but they don't have this particular pedagog, uh, 
pedagogy, what do you say? Uh, yeah, pedagogical. And, yeah, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not really a neuroscientist. I'm a, I'm a cognitive scientist, uh, but uh, so I know a lot. Can about... you can you detail the difference for for us, Lehman? Oh yeah. Um, maybe you should say something about my my past. I, I studied physics first, and after I started physics, I was asked to start uh, a study called applied uh, applied cognitive science. And uh, cognitive science is a kind of a generalization of psychology. So it's not necessarily about humans. Uh, it is about everything that reasons, uh, including uh, artificial agents. And that program became artificial intelligence. So I was uh, the director of artificial intelligence for a few years. And there I studied a lot the difference or the question, actually, uh, is there a difference between artificial intelligence and natural cognition? Do they overlap, or is uh, or is overlap only partial? And what I now think is that the overlap is only partial. Artificial intelligence is able to do uh, only or able to work only in a closed domain. So uh, you define a domain, and and uh, and you find and uh, and within that domain you can see all kinds of structure. If you open the whole thing. Uh, then we have no tools to deal with that anymore, and uh, and that is the the, the domain of of uh, natural cognition, and that is the domain actually not so much of problem solving, which has to do with intelligence and artificial intelligence and natural intelligence, um, but the domain of problem prevention, and that is a really important uh, thing. And problem prevention is actually a very good approximation of the word wisdom. Uh, so if you're a wise person, uh, you are able to, to prevent your problems. And if you are a really capable person, then you're able to prevent most problems. But if they occur, and of course they will occur, uh, then you can solve them uh, quickly and efficiently. So you have both well-developed intelligence, uh, but probably even better developed problem uh, prevention. And... And that this was also a lot of what we were talking, uh, well, what I was talking uh, with my students, and it made a lot of sense to the students. So I'm, I'm uh, spending a lot of time on the cognition of problem prevention. And, and that has everything to do with uh, understanding, uh, like you said. And uh, especially you prove your understanding by not, by not messing up. And and you you disprove your understanding by messing up. Uh, intelligence agencies have a nice name for that blowback. Yeah, when they they do all kinds of things and uh, but they don't understand really what they are doing. Uh, and after a few years, uh, they are confronted with all the negative effects of everything they did, and that only gave maybe a temporary uh, positive effect. Well. As a conspiracy theorist, I would say that blowback was invented as a way to dis to disguise the true intentions, which is to actually do the that things that blew back. <laughs> but I get your point. But yes, uh, the point is well well taken in that problem prevention really as a sort of a proximal way of, of measuring wisdom is, is actually, I think, a really good way of looking at it. Um, or at the very least, knowing what to do in positions of problem when problems arise. Um, uh, for example, if you happen to be a university professor and you fun suddenly find yourself disconnected from your university, you create your own school. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, so easy. And, and you, you create something 
Ah, uh, that is um, that is well, that is manageable. Uh, or no, no, the, the really important thing: uh, you don't want to recreate the university again. Yeah, so you basically want to go uh, to the complete opposite uh, on on every s on every dimension that makes no sense whatsoever. So, for example, the thing that really annoyed me about uh, universities is uh, that you uh, well the, the use of learning outcomes, which entails that uh, at the end of the course uh, you have to prove that you satisfy the learning outcomes by uh, making an exam. And, and, and doing that exam and, and showing that you know everything uh, all, and that you master the learning outcomes. So you jump through all lots of hoops and then a year later you hardly remember uh, whatever you knew. Uh, so this is wasting student time. It's wasting uh, valuable student time because this is in your easy learning years uh, and, and you're, you're just, it's evaporating. Uh, it is, and and you're also actually wasting student time. Uh, sorry, I, I don't know. You're wasting student. You're wasting teacher time because they, they had no true benefit of all the courses that they gave. Uh, uh, and so I see this as as uh, well one of the worst things of 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 our current universities. So what am I doing? Uh, I'm doing exactly the opposite. So we have every week a number of topics. Uh, and that that uh, I select them as the teacher, and maybe in part they are selected by 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 the students. Uh, and then the students they they read them, they do something with it, and some part of it they might find interesting. If they find it interesting, they have to develop it uh, to something that makes that is consistent, that is realistic, uh, that is connected to other knowledge, uh, that is maybe contrasted to other knowledge other uh, other ways. And when they are satisfied with, and when I, as a teacher also, uh, am satisfied that this is a decent uh, uh, depiction of this particular topic, uh, and, and at a, say, at an academic level, then, only then, you have to memorize it. So the students decide what they want to memorize. And the students, they, uh, I want them to be in the zone of proximal development. You know, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, uh, that, that is well, a Russian researcher who basically said that uh, if students are interested, then with a little bit of help from a teacher, uh, they can uh, learn almost effortlessly. And, and, and by the way, even without the help of a teacher. Uh, um, so whenever you're interested, you're in the zone of proximal development. And that is that makes a lot of sense. So what? when are you interested if you encounter something that is new enough to be interesting, but not uh, weird enough and disconnected enough uh, uh, to be off-putting or whatever. So you are in that in that zone of that you can barely grasp it, uh, but you know there is some value, uh, and well, and that is the point where I want my students uh, to to create knowledge themselves. Um, of which I am only the quality control, and uh, at the moment they have created that knowledge, they are going to uh, make a few flashcards. Uh, and and uh, you know the system with flashcards, that is, that's, uh, if you want to memorize something, uh, this, this, is, this is about st storing stuff in long-term memory. 
not so much in short-term memory, but you can also use flash cards for short-term memory. Anyway, so the idea is uh, you have to, you have created some knowledge yourself on a particular domain that you find interesting, and you write pointers down uh, to that domain, to the knowledge on a card, and, and we do it in a computer. Uh, and when you look at, uh, you, you review the cards now and again, and uh, every card has, has a side with uh, a question. If you know the answer to the question, uh, or and the, the backside has the answer. Yeah, so if you already know the uh, answer easily, then you put the card on a, on a pile uh, that you will review in a week or so. If you have difficulty with it, you put it on a pile that you will uh, review the same day or the day after. And, uh, and that way, uh, you sample all the knowledge that you create. And I want students to create about 50 flashcards uh, every week. And so with 40 weeks, if we do this a year, uh, we have 2,000 flashcards. Those are pointers to the knowledge that you have created. And with 2,000 uh, knowledge bits to the knowledge that you have created, uh, you you are building connections uh, from from one domain to another domain because uh, the, the you you will also create flashcards uh, that connect say uh, psychology to eco economics or uh, physics to whatever and that helps you to create uh, an integrated worldview and so the idea is uh, create your own knowledge. Don't forget it. You will not forget it because of you, you will using flashcards all the whole year. And that activates the knowledge that you have created every time you see this thing. At a certain moment, you have created new knowledge in whatever domain. You are, you, you are activated by the flashcards of knowledge of a previous domain three months ago. All of a sudden, you see uh, a connection. You create a new flashcard and, uh, and you have a new connection but now uh, between two completely different uh, domains. And, and what you want to do is to change a lot of your knowledge from knowledge that is on the level of, I know that uh, the earth is uh, circumventing the sun to I know why uh, the earth is circumventing the sun. Yeah, so, and that is the difference between just uh, memorized fact and examine yeah. knowledge. Yeah, and you've just upset all the flat earthers in the audience. <laughs> but oh yeah, well, sorry, sorry for them. No, no, no not necessarily. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what they think about. I, I, but anyway, we can make still make uh, try to make a case for the flat Earth, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Try, try to make the case. So, here's I, I guess my questions about this are to do with the practical way, the nuts and bolts way that this actually looks. So you've already stipulated something around the range of t 10 to 12 students, something like that. Um, and I assume there will be a set schedule of some sorts, but this sounds fairly self-directed. So I'm assuming it's not everyone goes to a classroom every day to sit down for an allotted amount of time. I'm assuming there is some different way that you have structured the, the work week. Yeah, the, so the week looks, well, in, in, in this case, on Monday, uh, we meet and uh, we, we discuss. Uh, I introduce all kinds of new topics every week. Um, the topics they develop and they have a lot of connections, but the students will not necessarily see those connections. 
um, at least not in the beginning. Um, and then uh, we we discuss. Well, for example, I can give homework about a documentary, and I, I actually I used a few of your documentaries. Uh, the, the Rockefeller one was always a success uh, because students there discovered that it was a completely uh, different level of political influence that they uh, that they never thought about. And and well, so I use a documentary. Uh, and, and students typically have to write uh, uh, a mini essay of about 300 words that makes sense to them. And it has to be to, to make sense to me as well. Uh, and it, it should not, uh, it's not intended to please me. It is intended to, to show that they are creating uh, knowledge themselves. And I help them make that better and better and better. And so that is to get them in their zone of proximal development. Another thing that they have to do is uh, develop ideas, develop self-created ideas from fragile and unformed to pretty robust and, and well supported. And so that's the difference between, an, say, an opinion uh, and, and a position. Uh, a position is like, in, in military terms, a position is is a place that is fortified, uh, that you that you can uh, defend well. and and a position is also aware of the enemy, and it takes. Yeah, and, 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 and in this case, a position is aware of all the different ways of looking at it. And typically, a position uh, is uses the best knowledge of your former ad, intellectual adversaries uh, to improve your own ideas. And therefore, your intellectual adversaries uh, they they become your teachers because they are the ones who can actually improve your ideas. And uh, well, we do all kinds of other things uh, uh, like like little debating games or uh, but but the main thing is is addressing all kinds of different forms of knowledge, some about health, some about psychology, some about physics, some about this, some about that, and and uh, uh, history um, and 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 creating and allowing students. Uh, to use all that knowledge uh, to to improve their world view and and to make it more consistent uh, and to produce that understanding basis that foundation uh, for the rest of their lives in one year a manageable easy task right well yes. hmm. uh, I, I, I'm assuming it would take a very certain type of student to really thrive in this environment. But before I get into that question, I guess the other question I have would be with regards to the, the. I mean, again, there's no set curriculum from what I'm understanding here, but um, presumably these mostly self-directed interest, interested students would have their field of interest that they're, they're specializing in and looking into. Are you presuming to be able to direct um, students in anthropology and psychology and economics and Japanese calligraphy and whatever other interests that they would have? Or are there a certain set of topics that you, you would imagine steering them through? Until now, I'm always surprised uh, that I can definitely follow uh, or direct my students uh, on, on pretty much any topic uh, on, on three or one, two or three steps, mostly two steps. Yeah, so so they are interested in something. I know something about it. I lead them to a particular 
source um, and, and, and they, they learn from that source and then they have new ideas uh, that are a little bit more mature. I can still help them a bit and then it becomes to become difficult. Uh, but but there are definitely, of course, there are topics that I don't know anything about, like Japanese calligraphy. Um, but that is, those are not normally the topics that students come up with. Uh, so when they when they come up with normal stuff, I have usually explored them already. Um, but the, it is important uh, to say that that suppose a student comes to me uh, where, uh, who believes that. Uh, minerals influence uh, people's behavior or people's feelings or so. And then it's not my task to convince them of the opposite. It's my task to ensure that they can make the strongest damn case for this idea. And 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 so I, I, I will lead them to uh, well, high quality esoteric uh, material and, and, and uh, I will help them to, to to make a really strong case of that. I would assume that part of the point of this, assuming that we do want to uh, help these young people attain their sort of adult independence, is for them to be able to seek out and identify competent authorities within the domain that they've chosen and then test themselves against those competent authorities in some way. Exactly. Exactly. That, that is that is really important. Uh, and And... And, and it's it's your mind. You are the one uh, who should make decisions on what to include in your worldview. Uh, and and I, as an academic, it's my task uh, to to ensure uh, that that process goes maximally efficiently, and and with uh, with the highest quality knowledge that humanity has produced. Uh, but in yeah, it, it's it's their mind. Uh, so I will not say what how it should be filled and at university i really have the idea that uh, the mind is seen as a as a kind of a, a storage box uh, in which you dump everything that the university deems fit uh, to be stored uh, and then it evaporates also uh, while for me uh, the mind is much more like a house where everything has a place and and uh, and everything is is um is decided on uh, consciously. It's, it's not a way to dump information. No, no, it is. It is something to be extremely careful of and and to 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 organize really well, and to make it maximally functional. Uh, functional. All right. So as I alluded to earlier, I think certain types of students will thrive and really get something out of this. Other types. This may not be for them. What type of person or student do you think would benefit most from the School of Understanding? Um, I would say every, in, in, in general, everyone uh, who is, uh, is open to knowledge, really open to knowledge, and, and, and who feels that inner drive to, to self-develop and, and uh, feels... Uh, that it is very natural to to develop your autonomy. I don't think there are many more things. Yeah, they have to be decently smart. Uh, they have to be able to to read some pretty complicated stuff. Uh, and, and not that I I'm going to expose them necessarily to pretty complicated stuff. But high quality thinkers tend to produce pretty complicated stuff. Uh, so so uh, uh, you need to to gain access 
to that. But apart from that, I would say that uh, decently smart, open, super interested um, people who are who want to be critical on their own minds and who want to develop their own uh, autonomy. But those are the people that I, I typically want. And uh, there are definitely a lot of uh, of parents uh, who are a little bit in our in our world, uh, who have children, uh, with whom they have been talking about all kinds of topics, uh, and who hardly fit in uh, normal university life anymore, or maybe they fit in, but then they have to um, they they really have to how do you say that um, well degrade themselves a bit. Uh, so that they fit again into uh, the university system. Hmm. That's if only there one. had been a school of understanding when I was deciding whether or not to pursue my academic career, maybe things would have turned out differently. But <laughs> then again, I'm glad <laughs> well, that they turned case, out the uh, way they did. Well, so. would have lost an important person, an important voice, maybe. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe I could have developed it earlier. But at any rate, um, all right. So at the end of this year, uh, the student will walk away with a little piece of paper that says that they are accredited and approved by some state institution in the field of blah, blah, blah. Oh, probably not. No, 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 no. What do people walk away with at the end of this? Um, I, I have to think about that. I, I think it would be, it makes fair to, to give them something. Uh, but, well, one, one thing, for example, that I was thinking of uh, is... Uh, they created uh, those flashcards, and those flashcards uh, that we do that in in in, in Obsidian, uh, and you can organize them uh, on on text, and and you can organize the text in a circle, and you can make a nice visual representation of that uh, of of all the knowledge and all the uh, all the connections between the different knowledge types that they have. And 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 that would be actually a really nice uh, thing. So um, and then they then they can well hang that on the wall huh? and and uh, and say something. Uh, or if like, it's in Obsidian, they could publish it as a website, and it could be like yes, a CV. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not sure if if I would do that. I mean, I wouldn't like to to uh, to publish my the, the contents of my mind uh, <laughs> on the web. Uh, but but. So that is definitely something. Another thing is that I think it should be possible to organize. Uh, I, I, I take a few friends that I consider true academics, and and we we are going to have a discussion, and it will be a discussion that will be pretty hard, but it will be on the topics that the student has developed, and then something the student, along the lines of a dissertation defense. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the student discovers that, damn, uh, I am able uh, to uh, to converse with those pretty smart, well-developed individuals. Uh, and those individuals are then going to say, you're part of our club now. Yeah, so, and that is actually how a bachelor and a master was supposed to be. Uh, so. Yeah, so we, we this have, is this is what it puts me in mind of the old sort of apprenticeship system rather than what it has developed into, which is essentially accreditation by an establishment institution. Yes, and the weird thing is that uh, now you get uh, a piece of paper at the university that hardly means anything, and in my case, you get no piece of paper and it means something. Yeah. All right. So yeah. 
Um, so, okay, so uh, again, my understanding, this is this is a general concept. And as you say, it's a decentralized idea um, that presumably could and hopefully will be applied in many different places around the world and adopted to different um, uh, situations, etc. But you are going to pilot this idea. And my understanding is the course is not, the first course is not started yet, but you are about to undertake that? I have, I have uh, a few students now. I need some more. So you can apply uh, if you are within traveling distance of Groningen. Uh, and uh, I will keep it to, uh, say, maximally 12. Um, but uh, then uh, this year, I hope to develop a lot of material and I want to get into to contact with people who might like this and, and might might want to start this in a similar way and develop also material with them uh, and then create something of a community. I'm not sure how maybe via Patreon or, or uh, Subscribestar or whatever uh, platform that is suitable for that. And, and then create uh, a basis uh, to 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 copy basically what I have developed in this year, uh, and and that includes also say the student file. So you have to keep track of what students are doing, and uh, you have to you, you need a lot of material, and you need also to prepare yourself for that material. I've, I've, in my case, I have I've doing courses like this for well uh, something like uh, eight years now, uh, so I. I have a lot of material uh, that is suitable for that. Uh, and and the, the say you are an academic, you maybe you you worked in a company, or you had your own company, and you think this is this is something that I would love to do. You need to develop material, and uh, and you can reuse a bit of mine, uh, but uh, uh, it would be probably better uh, if you develop your own material um, or make whatever material I produced, uh, your own, and then we create uh, yeah, a, a whole bubble of, of, uh, of material that can be used in this way. Uh, and, and there is, I, I think I have a lot of knowledge on how to organize this in, uh, so that it makes sense for the students and that, that we go from, from fairly easy stuff to, to really complicated stuff. But I'm, I'm currently not yet, uh, if someone asks me, uh, how do you do that? Uh, then I can't give a proper answer. Yeah, so that is something that I have to develop uh, this year. Understandable. I think this is probably the type of thing that develops in the course of actually doing it. I don't think it's the kind of thing you can plan out every detail ahead of time. Um, but that's part of the point, isn't it? Um, all right. Uh, uh, I, you know, I know strangely... The, the, the Corbett Report audience uh, has a, a strangely strong contingent of Dutch within it, which is, <laughs> I say strange because uh, a seemingly small country with presumably not native English speakers, but <laughs> there seems to be a lot of Dutch Corbett Report listeners. So hopefully there will be some people in the audience who might uh, might be interested in taking you up on this course. Um, if if there are, how would they how would they find you? How would they get in touch with you? How would they sign up? Well, go to the website. Uh, www.school-of-understanding.nl um, See whether the, the first page makes sense. It's a lot of material already there. 
and at some point uh, there is uh, an email address and and where you can um, uh, apply and and ask for more information. I am also interested in uh, a small amount of uh, well, not really venture capital, but investors uh, to to have someone help me organize this. Uh, and, and to kickstart it, I can do this without the investment, but it, it helps uh, to have to have uh, people who um, well who, who help organizing this. So, but that that's all. It's it's all pretty simple, and I want to keep this, of course, really simple. I don't want to create a new bureauc- bureaucracy. I want to do exactly the opposite. Yeah, and for people who are not in the vicinity of Groningen and not in a position to help you financially. At any rate, I hope people will at least take a look at this idea and um, see how and if it can be applied in your own area. I think there are some valuable ideas in here about the process of not teaching, not learning, but understanding, which I hope we have started to flesh out in this conversation. I'm sure we could talk about this for many, many more hours and still not even begin to really get back past the surface level of the depth of this subject matter. But uh, I think this will probably do it for today. But Sheard, is there anything else about this school of understanding or these concepts that you'd like to uh, iterate before we go? No, not really. I'm really looking forward to it. I love working uh, with the students. I missed that a bit in the last couple of years because of me being cancelled. Uh, but and, and that was also the only thing that I missed of the university. Yeah, so uh, I'm really looking forward to re starting this and spending some time with uh, really eager, interested young people. Excellent. Well, I am very interested to hear how it goes, and I'm looking forward to updates on this in the future. So my uh, my hat's off to you for not letting the, uh, the cancellation affect you and just to uh, continue doing what you do. In fact, to do it even better. I appreciate that. I think that's an example we can all learn from. I think we'll leave the conversation here for today. Cheered Andringa School dash of dash understanding dot NL. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure.